This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Last week we looked at the extraordinary life of Tom Byrne, who fought against British imperialism in South Africa with the Irish Brigade, and in Ireland with the Irish Volunteers and the IRA. He fought in the Easter Rising with the Kildare Volunteers, and later became captain of the 1st Battalion of the Dublin Brigade in the War of Independence. Towards the end of this war, he was captured and imprisoned in Rath Camp in the British Army base in the Curra, County Kildare. It was completely surrounded by two rows of barbed wire entanglements, with a passage in the centre along which sentries patrolled, and which the prisoners spoke of as no man's land. At each corner of the compound stood very high blockhouses, and from which very powerful searchlights played on this passage, so that it looked hopeless to attempt to escape through the barbed wire. Sentries from these blockhouses called out, all's well, at regular intervals during the night. There were also a great number of arc lights in the camp, and fortunately those along the barbed wire pointed inwards. So far only one man had escaped. He had got himself carried out in a laundry basket. In order to stop any further attempts, they put a dummy figure in the barbed wire one night and fired a few shots rushed up to the barbed wire and carried away the figure to give the impression that somebody had been plugged in trying to get away. This did not deter the men, and they set about planning their escape. One of our men discovered a trace of earth being disturbed behind our officer's hut, and the trail led to the British quarters. This was investigated, and a wire was unearthed connected to a dictaphone hidden in the wall behind our commandant's bed. We dug up that wire and used it as a clothesline, to our great amusement and their embarrassment. A couple of months prior to the escape, September 1921, a tunnel had been completed to the point beyond the barbed wire, leaving about a foot of ground to be broken to the surface when all was ready. But some tactless prisoner in the camp had sent a message to friends in Dublin, telling them the tunnel was ready and he would be seeing them soon. The message was caught and months of hard work were gone for nothing. To frustrate any further attempts at escaping, the British authorities had a trench dug four foot deep around the camp. Although disheartened after this frustration, the men redoubled their efforts and within weeks a new tunnel was being dug. The men acquired a marquee to pitch beside one of the huts. Tents were being used to house some of the 12 to 1500 men imprisoned in the overpopulated camp, so this did not arouse suspicion. All that was necessary was to lift the canvas wall and crawl under the adjoining hut which was erected on concrete blocks at each end, and the floor of which was three feet above the ground. Our expert was a little miner by the name of Brady, who had worked in the mines of Arigna and Pennsylvania, and he had set to work at once with his helpers. Strange as it seems, I can say truthfully that the job was done so cautiously that the occupants of the hut didn't have an inkling of what was happening right under their feet. When Brady had the entry hall started, the clay was pulled up in pillow covers by his helpers and distributed under the hut. The tireless little miner worked day and night for 16 days and when he had got about 75 feet, he gradually worked upwards. Eventually, in September 1921, Brady had finished digging his tunnel which passed below the trenches dug by the British soldiers. When our turn came, we entered the tent lifted up the side and crawled into the tunnel. After going about eight or nine feet at an angle of 45 degrees, 
We had to take a complete dive and we knew we were going under the trench. The hole was round and me and my friend being on the big side could only lever ourselves along on our elbows. And how anxious we were during the many stops. Every minute seemed like an hour. But this was necessitated by several of the men when reaching the exit having to wait until the sentry passed in no man's land. The tunnel surfaced in an unused and unguarded adjoining camp, so when they emerged they had to scramble in the dark for a cut section of fence through which they could make good their escape. Running through the night, they attempted to get their bearings at the grandstand of the Curra racecourse. We were amused and relieved to hear the all's well from the blockhouse, but our relief grew again into anxiety, as after we had gone around a few clumps of furs, we had no idea what direction we were taking. There was a dense fog, and after wandering about for half an hour, we found ourselves near the camp again, as we could see the glow of the lights. We started back again and had better luck, and after some time we reached the road which took us into Newbridge. We took the road along the Liffey, and before daylight reached Salins, and seeing some lights on in a railway shed, we entered. The men there received us very well. They took us to their homes, where they gave us breakfast and a welcome rest for a few hours, and made arrangements for us to travel on the train to Dublin that Friday morning. The irony in all this is that by the time Tom Byrne and his comrades had successfully completed their escape, the truce had called a halt to hostilities in Ireland. By December, two months later, the treaty would be signed and all prisoners released. In the confused atmosphere of the time, however, the truce was not seen as a guaranteed end to the fight against the British, and nobody could be certain of how long it would last, or its outcome. In 1922, Michael Collins appointed Tom as the first captain of the guard in Leinster House. He became a highly respected and well-liked figure of parliamentary life, at one point greeting a bewildered South African dignitary in Afrikaans. He remained in the post until 1947 when he retired, aged 70. For more on Tom Byrne and his wife Lucy, who also served in the GPO during the Easter Rising, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. Tom Byrne's account of his escape from Rath Camp was read here by his grandson, Conor O'Leary. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.